Ephesians chapter, we've used this as our main text, if you will, uh, as we launch out into the deep. Hallelujah. Just like Jesus told the disciples, launch out into the deep and catch a draught, a big catch of fish. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to weep. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else this morning. But right here under the presence of God, where His glory is being poured out. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul said this, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is that breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you may ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now that power that worketh in us is the love of God. If you look at it in context. Amen. And as we said before the last couple of weeks, that these are, there are two prayers mentioned in the book of Ephesians, one in chapter 1, and then this one in chapter 3. And uh, many times Paul would say, I'm praying for you, but it wouldn't say what he prayed. But here in Ephesians, it actually shows you the two prayers, one chapter 1, chapter 3 that we just read right here. And uh, these are spirit-anointed prayers. The Lord told uh, revealed to Brother Hagin years and years ago. He said, start praying these prayers for yourself. When he was a pastor, he started, start praying these prayers for yourself, for your congregation. And he said uh, he would faithfully go and pray at his little parsonage that he had, a little tiny church that he had. He'd go down there and pray these prayers three times a day. He'd pray, Lord, I'm praying this for myself, for my family, for my congregation. You know. And he says, it was amazing. But He goes, but after about three months... After about three months of consistently, here's the thing, a lot of people give up on the first week. Give up on the first month. They say, well, I've been doing it, but it doesn't seem like anything's happening. He said, that's where people miss it, is they, they quit and they give up before things start to take place. He said, but about on the third month, he said, after praying these prayers every day, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and so forth, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in chapter 1. And then this one that we just read here. He said all of a sudden it was like the scales were lifted off his eyes. And he said he began to preach. Now he didn't announce this to the people in the church. But he said his, his preaching took on a different boldness and authority and anointing. And he would randomly ask some of the people. He'd get kind of a little survey in the people in the church. You know, if you read the book, The Authority of the Believer, he, he talks about this. The Believer's, I think it's called The Believer's Authority, right? And uh, they said, Pastor, we don't know what's happened to you, but man, you're not the same guy that you were. You're, you're preached with such conviction and such power, and it just grabs a hold of us, you know? And he said, it's because of these prayers here in the book of Ephesians. Amen? Now, a lot of times we struggle with how do we pray for other people? You know, you got a loved one or someone in your family that's not, let's just say they're saved, they're born again, they, they, they have Jesus in their heart. They have their fire insurance. Okay? You know what that means. They're not going to hell, right? They know Jesus, but they're not really serving Him. You know, it's possible to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Him, but not really walk with Him on the earth. And they're the most miserable people in the, on the earth, really, because they know better, but they're not walking with Him. Well, there's something we can do about that. 
we can insert people's names in these prayers. It doesn't take but a minute or two to pray these prayers and, and insert that, that man or that woman or that boy or that girl or even a group of people. You know, when Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, he didn't know them all by name. He didn't. He didn't go through Tom and Mary and Joey and Susie. You know what I'm saying? They probably didn't have those kind of names back then. You know what I mean? But, but anyway, he would say, I'm praying for the whole church at Ephesus. So you don't have to know someone personally uh, to pray these prayers. You can group a people together or you can, if you know them individually, you can call out their names. And as you faithfully begin to pray these prayers for those people, these are spirit-anointed prayers. And as you pray for them and pray scripturally for them, that's when you're going to see things take place. Amen? Let me give you an example. My mother and father did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior until after my sister and I were born again. I was 16 years old. My sister was about 14 years old. Okay, she's a couple years younger than me. And... Uh, we got saved. We were the first ones, my sister and I, we got saved in the family, you know, and I, I won't go into detail, but we went to that Methodist camp, got saved, you know, and, and we both uh, received Christ, right? And so moving forward, the first thing that was on our hearts is we wanted to see our mom and dad saved, okay? We wanted to see them saved. Oh, how many know what I'm talking about? You just, your loved ones, you don't... Man, when you come to Jesus, you, you realize what happened to you. You don't want them to miss it, okay? But make a long story real short. I remember trying to force it with my parents, and it went nowhere really fast. And I, I remember on one occasion, you know, I was helping my mother. You know, we had different chores, you know, in our house. You know, my parents, they... My sister had things she had to do to help out. You know, I had things, you know. And I'm glad that they were like that. Amen. They didn't just let us lay around and be lazy. Amen. And I remember it was my turn to, to dry the dishes with my mother. We didn't have a dishwasher. Okay. She washed it. I dried it. I didn't like it very much, but it was just, that was part of the deal, right? <laughs> and so I, I remember talking on one occasion. I'm talking to my mother. And uh, somehow the conversation came up because initially they thought we joined a cult. Isn't that amazing how people always throw that out there and say, a cult, a cult. They know nothing about what you just experienced. And I said, Mom, it's not, in essence, what I was sharing with her is it's not a, it's, it's not a cult. It's, it's not a religion. It's a relationship, you know. And I began to explain to her that we're not saved by our works because that's the first thing that someone shared with me. And I didn't know that. Because I thought it was your works that you got saved. Well, that was a big eye-opener for me because I realized none of the things that I did didn't matter. It's because I'm not saved by works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by grace through faith, right? And so uh, somehow she interpreted, my mother at that time, she interpreted, the, and I, she goes, you mean to tell me that if I don't get this born-again experience that I'm going to hell? I said, yeah. And I, th I was just going along with the conversation. She freaked out. She got so upset. And my father, you know, he was a, he used to tinker with stuff. He, had, he was a fix-it man. He was down. Some of you might, might remember my dad when he was here. You know, he's in heaven now, but, but he would fix stuff in the basement, you know. And, and my mother got real vocal. She says, "You mean to tell me I've been wrong all these years?" I said, "Well." <laughs> you know, and she got pretty vocal about it. By that time, my father came running up the steps. I mean, he didn't walk. He ran up the steps. Remember those set of steps? 
And, uh, and he started freaking out on me, you know, and screaming at me, cursing at me, yelling at me and everything, you know. And, and I mean, it just turned into World War III, okay. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what's going on here, you know. And I was, I was really, I was kind of shaken. I was really afraid. I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I'm 16. And uh, so anyway, the, the, once the dust settled, you know, I, I finally got into a good church, you know, and I started hearing some things that I really needed to hear, you know. Uh, God said that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, okay. So I began to th- hear sermons. Uh, that's, where, that's where I met my wife, you know, we we're going to this church, and I began to hear sermons about how to effectively pray for the lost, when I heard that, my ears just went, my antenna just went right up. I'm like, I need to hear this, you know. Well, Jesus told Kenneth Hagin, you know, how to pray for the lost. He says, first and foremost, what you want to do, the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Amen? Yeah. And whom the God of this world, who is that? Satan. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine into their hearts, right? And, and the Lord showed, thank God for Brother Hagin, thank God for the revelation that he had, because of the, what Jesus shared with him is for the body of Christ. We're not exalting a man, you understand that? But it's the revelation that came from heaven. And Jesus said this to him, he said, he said take authority over those blinding spirits that are blinding your loved ones. And in his case, he was praying for his brother that didn't want anything to do. And he, he, was, he actually ran with Bonnie and Clyde back in the day. He was that bad, his brother, Dub, okay? And I mean to tell you, he was rough. He was tough. He was big, you know. And, I mean, he didn't take anything. He beat, you know, five grown men at one time, beat them to a pulp, big, strong guy. But he wasn't saved. And the Lord said this. He says, Take authority, first and foremost, over blinding spirits that are blinding your, bro- your brother or anybody. And he says, then pray what Jesus prayed. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. In other words, God knows who your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, who they're going to listen to, who they're going to respond to. Correct? Mm-hmm. Um, you may not be the delivery boy or girl. But God knows who will, that your relative, sometimes they, you know, when it comes to family, they don't want to hear what you have to say. Right? Who are they? Who, who they think they are? You know what I'm saying? And in my case, that was the way it was. I couldn't tell my parents anything. You know, because I'm the kid, right? How am I? Who am I? You know what I'm saying? Well, God knows that. And so, make a long story real short. My, my good friend of, that I was able, able to lead, his name was Jim, and I led him to the Lord. We were best buddies in high school and junior high school, and, and we would have prayer meetings. And I remember, you know, he had a, a large family, and uh, mine wasn't. It was just me and my sister and my parents, and then my brother came along when I was 16. And, and, uh, and so we began to act on this. And I remember I was sitting in our driveway on a Friday night, it was about midnight, 1230 a.m., something like that, you know. And I was sitting, we were sitting in my blue Monte Carlo in the front seat. Me in the driver's seat, my friend in the passenger seat, like it was yesterday, I remember. And my parents had a, two bedroom windows on the top floor in the second story. And I remember it was a summer, beautiful summer night. 
And I remember we didn't do it loud so that anybody could hear us, but we did what we heard, and we said, we take authority, man. We, we got in there, and we said, we break the power of the devil. We break blinding spirits over our parents, over our brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we, sent, we, asked, we asked for laborers to be sent across their path in Jesus' name. Up to that point, we experienced utter frustration and anger and so frustration among the family. They didn't want to hear it. But without going into great detail, all of our family members started to come in one by one into the kingdom of God. We just, it was almost magical. It's not magical, it's power, the power of God. But we began to see, you know. Now, when we prayed that, you know, of course, doubts will come at your mind like, well, this isn't going to work. But you know what? The Word of God works. If you pray the Word of God, the Word always has supernatural results. And so, one by one, I'm standing here as a personal witness and testimony to the fact I have watched my loved ones, my mother, my father, and then my friend, his entire family, brothers and sisters. Now, they didn't all come in at once, but I'll tell you what, they be, his, his one brother who was the black sheep of the family, he was the worst. You know, he was actually in a bar downtown on Liberty Avenue. And he was just a really, without going into deal, he was a really rough person, okay? Well, he's in a bar drinking, right? Okay? Somebody comes in that he used to know in high school that used to be a wild party animal. But he got saved. And he saw my friend's brother there. Long story short, he goes into the bar on Liberty Avenue. He begins to testify to him and witness to him. He gets born again inside of a bar. Okay? Now my friend ran up. This is a January night and it's freezing cold out. And it's a miracle that he ran up from his house to my house. It's like a mile away. He ran up, beat on the door in the middle of January, and it was really cold. It was one of those winters in the 70s when it was so cold, you know. And I thought, what are you doing here, my friend? You know, he came and he goes, he goes, my brother just got saved. He was crying, you know. And we just began to see the Word of God bring results. Amen. Things began to happen. Amen. Now, we're talking about understanding the love of God. Anytime you come in contact, and I believe the Holy Spirit had me to say that for a purpose and a reason this morning, okay? If we pray what the, the Word of God prays, it'll alleviate frustration and trying to just complain about so-and-so, why they're not walking with God, why they're not serving God. Well, we need to get diligent. We need to be I'm telling you, we need to get more diligent praying the Word of God, praying the prayers, not being slack with it. Keep the pressure on the devil's neck, just like a snake. Amen? You know, if you capture a snake, then one of the things you want to do is you want to you put some pressure on that neck, okay? Whether it's your foot or your hand, okay, behind his eyes, okay? So he can't bite. And that's what we want to do with the enemy when it, when our, when it comes to our loved ones. Amen? Now, a lot of times we have loved ones that made a commitment to the Lord that for, for whatever reason they backslid and they got bitter or had a bad experience. And it's easy to blame other people for the where, you know, where people are at. You know what I mean? But let's just take a hold of the Word of the living God and let's begin to pray the Word of God. Father, open the eyes of their understanding. Enlighten them right now. I take authority over that blinding spirit over them in Jesus' name. 
Now, I had, uh, I had a, a spiritual dream. Now, I haven't had many of these in my life, but I remember when it was the Lord. We're not talking about, like, having too much pizza at night or something like that. But I mean a, a real genuine dream from God. And I remember this vividly, okay, that I was, uh, as I was sleeping, I went off into this deep sleep, deep dream, you know, and, and all of a sudden in this dream, I, uh, I was, I knew exactly where I was, and all of a sudden I'm standing on, now, most of you are familiar with Pittsburgh, you have North Park and South Park, Correct. Now, I live by South Park, right? And there's a skating rink, and there's, there used to be a swimming pool there, a big swimming pool. How many of you ever swam in that pool there years ago? <laughs> okay, it's not there anymore. But, but there's a massive parking lot there. Now, this happened to me about 35 years ago. This happened. And all of a sudden, in this dream, it's so vivid. I'm standing there in this parking lot. And, and what would happen was is people would come to this parking lot, at least back then, and they would bring their fancy cars and hot rods and things like that, you know, and they would park there and, and basically just just hang out, okay? Park their car, park their truck, just hang out, show off their cars, that kind of a thing. Mostly young people, right? And so here we are, I'm, I'm in this dream, and all of a sudden I appear and I'm standing there, and I know exactly where I'm at. I'm in this big parking lot. I could take you to it this day. And as I'm standing there, there's a kid on the back of a, a red pickup truck. He's got the flap down on the back the gate, and he's sitting there just hanging out. And I'm watching this, and all of a sudden, somebody out of the right side comes up and starts talking to him. It was a Christian, started talking to him about getting saved. But here's the problem. He started trying to minister to him, but he was using guilt and condemnation on him, making him feel bad, making him feel guilty. Okay? Now, in the dream, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't, do, I was just watching it. I couldn't do anything about it, right? And it just got bad fast. And the kid got real turned off. And the kid got angry. And the Christian got frustrated and just walked away. And then I was able to step into the dream and take that kid's place. And as I stepped in, I got chills thinking about it. As I stepped in, now I'm in the picture. Now I'm talking to this kid. And here's what the Lord showed me. Uh, Josh, go over to Jude. There's only one chapter. But I want to show you something here. Now I haven't diverted from my topic here this morning. We're still talking about the love of God. But in Jude chapter 1, start in verse 20. And I want to show you something here because... Okay, here we go. Now it says right here, but you beloved, now he knows he's writing to Christians here, right? But you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Now what does that mean? That means praying in other tongues. Okay? Praying in the Holy Ghost means you're praying in tongues, right? He says, you're going to build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, let's read the next verse. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Next verse. And of some having compassion, making a difference. Now, notice that right there. Not all, but he said some. 
Some will have compassion making a difference. Let's stop right there. When I, in this dream, it was so vivid to me that I'll never forget it. I, as I stood before this kid, and I, like I said, the kid that came up before that was using guilt and condemnation. He was more letter of the law, right? And he, it just got nowhere fast. He was frustrated. They were both frustrated, you know. But when I stepped into the picture now, and I'm talking to this young kid on this tailgate of a truck, all of a sudden, the compassion, I felt so much compassion for this young, young man. Like I'd never, I mean, I mean, I started, it was making me cry and it was just, it was just doing something to me. I felt so much compassion and love for this young man that I was able to communicate with him and lead him to the Lord right there. Okay. Right on the tail end of that, that's when it stopped. The Lord gave me this scripture. When I woke up, the Lord gave me this scripture. He says, now this is it. Some having compassion, making a difference. Okay? I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in your life today. I want to make a difference in the people that I come in contact with always. Not for bad, but for good. I want to make a difference. But notice in Jude 120, it starts out, but you, beloved, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Ghost. And by doing so, you'll keep yourself in the love of God. How many of you know it's so easy to get frustrated with people? I'm sure here no one's ever gotten frustrated at anybody before. Am I talking to the right group here? It's so easy. It's the broad way that leads to destruction that Jesus talked about. That's one of the ways. But it's so easy to become, oh, just frustrated at someone because they're not doing what you think they should do. Okay? Well, the thing is, if they knew what they were doing, they probably wouldn't do it. If someone's, listen, if someone's eyes are closed and they're not, they're not seeing things correctly, even if they're a believer, they're going to do and they're going to say things that are hurtful. They're going to do and say things that aren't right because they don't even realize they're doing it. They're ignorant. They don't know what they're, I'm not saying they're rude. I'm saying they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. And, and, but you might see it as clear as crystal day, right? You might say, well, can't they see what they're doing? But obviously they don't see it. However, if their eyes are open and they see the truth of what's going on, the scales fall off their eyes. They're like, where have I been? Okay? That's when true change is going to take place. You see, we're talking about having an encounter with the love of God because I, I, I can never be the same if I have an encounter on a regular basis, a daily basis, a weekly basis with God. And I come in contact with His presence and His love for me. I'll never be the same. I'll never, ever be the same. Amen? If I'm truly walking with God and I'm walking with Him and I'm walking in the love of God, the last thing I'm going to want to do is hurt somebody else or cause someone else pain. I'm not, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to cause pain for someone else. I'll tell you that right now. Amen? And so... What we need to do, I'm going over the place here this morning, but that's just, I believe the Lord's doing this. What we need to do, instead of complaining about people and complaining about loved ones, 
especially loved ones, instead of complaining about them, let's do something about it. Okay? Let's get in our prayer closet. Let's pray these Ephesian prayers. Let's faithfully release our faith as we pray these prayers. And not only that, praying in the Spirit is so one of the greatest weapons that you and I have. But you have to do it by faith. Because your mind will want to wander sometimes. When you pray in tongues, your mind's going to want to go here and go there. But, but let's just, just focus and say, Father, I'm praying for so-and-so right now. I want to get like a laser beam focus, and I want to pray for so-and-so right now. I want to pray for them in Jesus' name. And so, you know, take five minutes. You'd be surprised what you can do in the Spirit for five minutes, praying in the Spirit. What tremendous things can take place. Many times believers become disillusioned and discouraged because they haven't seen the results. Now, we've all been there. I've been there with different people too. But I, I believe that if we embrace the responsibility and the privilege, not just the responsibility, but a major privilege to be able to pray for folks and pray for people, amen. It's sad because the church at large has lost its effectiveness in praying. You know what I mean? But I believe we're coming back to that. That we, we, we go to the Lord and we pray. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Now we ask this question here. How much does God love us? How much does God love me? And we covered this and, and said this. There's, number one, there's not anything that you can do to make God love you more. We talked about that. And number two, last week we talked about that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Amen? And I'll just read this. want to bring this up here. John 17, 23. Jesus said, I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. In other words, Jesus is praying this prayer and he's saying in essence here, Lord, show them, show my followers, not only my disciples. He, remember this, that when Jesus was praying this, John 17, he said, Lord, I'm not only praying for my disciples right now, but I'm praying for those in the future that will believe on my name. Amen. Well, that would include us. Mm-hmm. We were included in Jesus' prayer. <laughs> Jesus was praying for us. He says, let them know that you, Father, Love me and you love them with the same exact love. So you got you, Jesus. Does God show you less love? He loves you with the same intensity. Hallelujah. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's why, it goes on to say there's no fear in love. Now let's wrap this up here today, this particular portion of this uh, topic here this morning. Let's, let's go into the third uh, area here. We've covered the first two about how much does God love me, number one. There isn't any, anything that God, you can do to make God love you more. Number two, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, number three today, here's we'll, we'll conclude this today. We need to confess God's love for us. Say confess. Now, most people, when they think of the word confess or confession... They're thinking on the negative side, depending on what particular religion you grew up in. You know, confession. People said, did you go to confession? Well, that's, you're not going to confess who you are in Christ. You're going to confess your sins. 
Amen? Now, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I had friends that, are, that did and so forth. And, you know, and I don't know. It's, it's people become sin conscious because they, they associate confess or confession with the negative thing, right? But, you know, the Bible has a lot more to say about the positive end of confession than it does the negative side. Now, it does say that if we can, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? But there's a host of other scriptures in the Bible that says, for example, let us hold fast our confession without wavering. Amen? There's several scriptures that talk about holding fast, hanging on to a good confession. Did you ever notice that when the pressure's on, that's the first thing that tries to slip is the wrong stuff out of your mouth? Well, it's not working. Well, that's what, like David said this. He said, Lord, put a watch on my mouth. Did he mean take this time X and go? He said, no, put a watch on my mouth. In other words, if I'm about to say something I shouldn't say, Lord, check me. Check me. If I'm about to say something that's going to be detrimental for me or, or hurt me spiritually, I don't want to say it. Okay? Now, John, who wrote the Gospel of John? John, right? So if, John, if anybody knew about the Gospel of John, it was the author himself, right? Actually, the Holy Spirit through him. Okay? But John... I want you to look at a couple of scriptures. This is just for, just for thought here. But, uh, go over to John 13. We're going to look at just a couple of verses in the Gospel of John before we dismiss here today. But in Gospel John 13, verse 23. Now remember, John is writing this. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is the author of not only Big John, amen, <laughs> but Little John. <laughs> Amen. That means Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. John wrote Revelation. Amen. Now look at, look at what he said in John 13, verse 23. It says, Now there was leaning on the bosom of one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now this is the Last Supper, correct? Now again, who wrote the Gospel of John? John did, right? Notice he said, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Go to chapter 19. Going to see the same phrase again. In John chapter 19 and verse 26. Hallelujah. John 19, 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple standing by, whom he loved, notice that, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. This is Jesus on the cross. Notice that John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Now go to John 21. In verse 7. And it says right here, Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard this, it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat upon him, unto him, for he was naked. Now, that doesn't mean he was without clothing. Okay, that's just the outer garment. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And he did cast himself into the sea. That's when Jesus was resurrected. One more verse, John 21 and verse 20. 
Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses let every fact be established. And Peter, turning about, seeth the disciples whom Jesus loved following, which also learned, leaned on his breast at the supper, said, Lord, which is, which is it that he that's going to betray you? Okay? So here we are. You don't see this phrase anywhere in Matthew, Mark, or Luke's gospel. But when you come to John... And even, it's funny because, it, you know, it even says that when, when they heard that Jesus was resurrected, John and Peter, that they ran to the tomb, right? But it says Peter, that, that John outran Peter. <laughs> A foot race, man. He outran them, right? <laughs> They're flying, man. <laughs> Glory to God. But... You know, this may seem really fundamental, but there's something really powerful about this. That, and, and people ask the question, why would he say that? I'm, I'm the one that Jesus loves, right? I'm the one that Jesus loves. Well, let's talk about this for a minute here. You've heard me talk about this before, but we're going to cover a little more detail here today. Did Jesus love John more than Peter or James? Or the rest? No. He loved, the Bible says, Jesus loved them all with the same love up until the very end. You can read that in John 13. He loved them with the same, all of them with the same intensity up until the very end. He even loved Judas. Do you know, Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. He knew that he was going to betray him. He knew it. Okay? But yet, at the Last Supper, you see Jesus washing his feet. How would, how would we handle something like that? It's kind of a, something to think about, you know? Do you know this guy's going to turn you over, right? You know, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's a serious, very serious thing right here, right? Your flesh would have another... Okay? Now, here's what's kind of interesting. Jesus loved them all equally. But John understood and had revelation that Jesus loved him. Peter could have had the same thing. All the disciples, Matthew, they could have had the same thing. But John had full understanding and revelation. Jesus loves me. He wasn't trying to say that he loves them any less. That's not what he was saying. He just had a personal revelation. It's amazing how you can have revelation in one area, but not another another area, right? But we can grow in this, right? And I would venture to say this is the most powerful revelation that you and I could have because when we understand the love of God towards us, it will alleviate and eliminate fear big time. Amen? And Jesus could have yielded to the flesh in that situation with Judas, but, but he didn't. Now you remember in closing here today, just shortly after this incident right here, uh, Judas betrays Jesus, and then they, a whole host of soldiers. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? He's praying. Just shortly after this incident right here. And he, he brought, you know, Peter and James and John and his disciples. Okay? Now, Judas isn't there because he's leading the enemies to Jesus. He's betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus said this, I think it was two times to his followers. He says, 
I want you to pray and watch with me lest you enter into temptation. I want you to pray with me. Okay? Remember that? And Jesus would go over and he would pray, and that's when he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, you know, because he knew what was going to happen. The pressure was so intense that he actually sweat drops of blood. That's the kind of intense pressure he was under. He knew what was going to happen, not only physically, but spiritually, and going to hell. I mean, it's too much for almost a human to, 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 to deal with that. So he would come back and find his disciples, Peter and James and so forth. He said, and he found them sleeping. And he said that to them a couple of times, he says, he said, watch and pray with me lest you enter into temptation. Could you not watch with me for an hour? Remember that? He said, could you not just watch for an hour? Just pray for an hour. They weren't really comprehending what was going on here, right? And so, you know, they're, 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 they're tired, they're asleep, you know, they're falling asleep as they're supposed to pray, as it were. And all of a sudden, Judas comes into the garden of Gethsemane, bringing a whole band of men with him and guns, or not guns, but knives, <laughs> shotguns and torches and knives and whatever weapon, weaponry that they had then, you know, and, and, and Peter, all of a sudden, he comes out of his sleep there. He says, oh my God, what's going on here? And there's all these people coming up. Judas went over and kissed Jesus as a betrayal, a, betra- a kiss of betrayal. He says, you know, and it, Jesus said, he said, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, he was just trying to act cool in the situation, like he's, if I kiss the guy, you know, that's the one. You, and that's what they did, right? Well, Peter decided, remember Jesus said, pray lest you enter into temptation in the flesh, right? Peter grabbed his sword. Okay? Big sword. He starts swinging at the people that that are there to pick up Jesus, led by Judas, right? Whoa, whoa, wouldn't that make a good movie right there? He's swinging. And all of a sudden, there's a guy named Malchus. And he's the, the, with the servant of the high priest that was there. And let me tell you something. Peter was going for the guy's head. But he must have ducked because it cut off his right ear. Malchus, you can read about that. Okay? He probably went like this and just missed. Some man. And he cut off his right ear. Boom. He's now he's got one ear. Can only hear half as much. Okay? Some people hear half as much and they got two ears. <laughs> So, uh, Jesus said, put away the sword. He goes, if you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Now, I thought about that for a minute here because Peter is guilty. He's the one that pulled the sword out, went and cut the high priest servant's ear off. I mean to tell you. And, you know, that's probably pretty painful, I would imagine. I never had that happen. No plan on it happen, but that would be pretty painful. Jesus, knowing these are enemies that are coming to take him away, right? Jesus reaches over and touches the man's head and his, all of a sudden there's a new ear on his head. Now this guy named Malchus is not Jesus' friend. He's an enemy. He's an enemy of Jesus. He's with the band of men that are coming to take him away and to torture him. But yet Jesus 
takes the time out to heal his enemy who does not love God nor love Jesus, and he was healed. Now, there's a couple of things that are going on here. Jesus was covering for Peter. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, they would have hauled him away and crucified him too, just like that. Okay? But, you know, how can you argue with it? This guy just healed my ear. He cut it off. Now it's healed. Undeniable. Right? Now, here's another little side thought here. We're not, this isn't healing school, but we'll interject this right here. Why do people, why do even believers have a hard time believing that God will heal them when He healed His enemy? Huh? You get that? If Jesus healed a guy who was coming to take Him away and to crucify Him, knowing full well what He was going to do, how much more does God want to heal His own children? Hallelujah. Amen? Because you and I, we're not enemies of Jesus. We love God, right? Well, if, if, if God is willing to heal his enemy, which he did, I'm sure Malchus was pretty thankful after that. Okay? I don't know what happened. He probably had a change of heart because how many people could do that? That's a working of miracles. I mean, it wasn't just healing. He needed a brand new ear. That was a working of miracles. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Working of miracles. A creative miracle. Hallelujah. But John, Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, look, if you stay prayed up, you won't yield to the flesh. Okay? Now I know my own life, I know me better than anybody else. Anytime I've ever gotten in the flesh, has anybody here as a Christian ever gotten in the flesh before? You know what I'm trying to say? You get mad, you get angry, you get ticked off, you know, I mean, you're just like, mm. you know. We've all been there, haven't we? We've done that. But I'll tell you, it's easy, it's so easy to get ticked off, it's easy to get irritated, it's easy to get frustrated. We've all done that. That's the flesh, okay? Now, when we're prayed up, and that's why sometimes when you're physically tired, You know what I'm saying? When you're physically tired, it's easier to yield to the flesh. Get irritated, get mad, get frustrated. Amen? Now last night at 4.30 in the morning, our dog just just went on a rampage of barking in the middle of the night. Just started barking and barking and barking. I'm thinking, Lord, deal with Kelly to get down there right now. Josh is back. I don't hear anything. <laughs> and uh, so I, I decided, okay, well, someone's got to do, you know, we've got to take care of this. And she, you know, she, we've been having some challenges with her food, you know, and having some, some bowel problems, you know what I'm saying? And so she had to go real bad, you know. So I, I, I marched down there. I'm half asleep, you know, and I'd go out there in the middle of the yard in the middle of the night, you know, and, and I, I didn't feel very spiritual. You know what I'm saying? And I come back in and I wanted to put her in her cage, but she didn't want me to leave her. So I tried to leave. She starts barking again. I thought, oh, God. So I got to stay down here on the couch next to her. You know what I mean? So, so it all worked out. You know what I'm saying? But I'm here. <laughs> Amen. But uh, interestingly enough, when all that's going on, I'm thinking, I have a choice right now to either tap into the flesh, get irritated, or... I can yield to the Holy Ghost right now 
by praying in the spirit. And, you know, and I decided to do that. Okay. I said, praise the Lord, I'm just going to lay here. Just, and, and I had compassion towards the little puppy dog. You know what I'm saying? Because it's easy to get frustrated, you know, when they're young like that, you know. And um, so uh, what was I trying to say? I'm saying that when, when, we're, when we're in communion with God and we're prayed up, it's, it's less likely that we're going to yield ourselves. Most of us here have said things at times we wished we could take back, right? There's things we said and we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know, but at the moment, you know, you were tired and frustrated and you poof, it came out of your mouth, you know. And, but uh, we can avoid those pitfalls, right? As, as we begin to, we're not perfect, but as we, we have a perfect Jesus, we have a perfect Holy Spirit. And as we yield ourselves, we'll keep ourselves in the love of God. Real, true, physical strength starts in the realm of the Spirit. You can be drained. You can be just kind of, oh, real lethargic, you know. And all of a sudden, you get a good report. Something comes to you. You get a call or something happens, and it's like good news. All of a sudden, you perk up. You're like, I feel stronger. Why is that? Because it affects spiritual things, affect your emotions, which affect your physical body. The joy of the Lord, that's spiritual, is your physical strength. Okay? So anytime that you're in God's presence and you're talking with Him and practicing His presence, it's easier to yield to the Holy Spirit and use compassion towards people. I want to I be more like that. I want to be more like Jesus. Say, Pastor Keith, what's your goal in life? To build a big church? Well, no. It's nice. What's your goal, Pastor Keith? Become more like Jesus. The rest will take care of itself. Amen? How many here want to become more like Jesus? You want to become more like, like Him. He's our example. I worship Jesus. I love Jesus. I love God. I love Jesus. Amen? And when I fall in love with Him and I understand His love for me, it's easier for me to love you with the same love. And that's a wonderful place to be, isn't it? Hallelujah. Some of you, you're going to go home with a new challenge. But there's, there's knowledge and there's wisdom that's going to be associated with that now. And, the, and the, the things that seem to be so difficult and seem so frustrating to you, trying to deal with certain issues in your family. Amen? Praise God. It's not going to be as difficult. Amen? Know this, saith the Lord, know this. When you yield yourself to me, it's never, ever in vain, saith the Lord. As you yield yourself to me, your mind, your emotions, your prayers, as you yield yourself to me, you'll take on my character. You'll take on my nature. And yes, you'll take on my love. And the things that used to be very frustrating to you and very difficult to you will no longer be difficult and frustrating to you because now there'll be a power that is my love that's working in you and through you and the things that used to torment you and frustrate you will no longer hold sway over you. For you see, my love will mount garrison over your heart and your mind 
And my love will lead you and direct you and guide you as to what to do and what to say in every given circumstance. For you see, I've not sent my spirit in vain. I did not send the Holy Spirit in vain, but I sent him to lead you and to guide you every minute of every day, saith the Lord. So yield yourself unto him. And as you yield yourself unto him, there's going to come a joy and a peace better and bigger than you've ever known, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 